Hello, I'm Wendy Myers of MyersDetox.com. Welcome to the Myers Detox podcast. Today we have my friend Lisa Coach on the show, and she, this is such a great interview. We, we're going to be talking about your mitochondria, how to improve your mitochondrial functioning, and, and how to optimize the mitochondria through diet, bioenergetics, and light. So a very, very interesting conversation today. And we're going to talk about a number of things, including Lisa's journey through very serious illness. She had leukemia as a child and numerous other health issues and how this led to you know profound insights into how the body works and you know how to biohack the body she just learned so many different things in her own illness and through going to medical school and working with thousands and thousands of patients she's truly truly knowledgeable and we also talk about the top things undermining your mitochondria that will surprise you your mitochondria make your body's energy so that's the name of the game. If you're trying to heal from chronic illness or trying to detox or do anything, you, you have to optimize your mitochondria functioning to have the energy to do any recovery or detox, sleep, anything. And so we also talk about how to increase the number of mitochondria in your body. We talk about the type of diet that optimizes mitochondria functioning and energy production. And we also delve into the power of intention and thought in recovering your health as well. Your words and your thoughts are very, very powerful, very important to do affirmations and meditations and, uh, and really kind of guide and lead your body to what it is that you want not in worry and self-repudiation and really, you know, being upset that you're ill or depressed that you're ill. Uh, you really have to, you know, talk and think your way out of poor health. And so we talk a little, touch on that a little bit as well in the show. Uh, so Lisa Coach MD is a triple board certified medical professional, founder and director of Spectral Wellness Solutions Clinic. She's the author of Get Lit and a national speaker. She's really a truth seeker, paving the way for access to unbiased science and medical freedom. And she specializes in anti-aging, regenerative, biohacking, and traditional and functional medicine. And at her clinic, Spectral Wellness Solutions, located in Tampa, Florida, she focuses on all aspects needed for total body healing, including the ketogenic diet, hormone replacement therapies, and enhancing mitochondrial function. She has built a team of gifted healers that work together to create individualized treatment plans for her patients. And she has uh, several signature programs for optimal performance, including the Ignite program, uh, featuring her first book, Get Lit. And she's lectured nationally and has been featured on numerous podcasts, radio, and TV segments across the country. And you can find Dr. Coach's website at spectrawellness.com and drlisacoach.com, as well as on Instagram by searching for Coach and on Facebook as well. Lisa, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into medicine? 
So I like to say I was gifted with the diagnosis of childhood leukemia. Um, at the age of 15, when I was feeling totally fine, I went in for a camp physical and then they pulled me out of class later that day because I had abnormal findings on my blood work. And that led to three years of chemotherapy, including intrathecal, so chemo in my spine and bone marrow biopsies and things that they actually put people to sleep now for, which I was wide awake. Um, so numerous different procedures, fat face and a wig for high school. It relapsed on an ovary in college right after all of my hair had grown back and I had to start it all over again. So that was a fairly tough time. And I kept asking why and um, nobody really had, of course, answers. So that led me straight to medical school and then internal medicine residency to try to get some answers for my why. And I would watch as patients would come in um, with uh, varying complaints and symptoms and they'd get put through a battery of tests and scans. And then typically we'd put them on a protocol that to me didn't really answer their why either. So I would talk to my professors and I was always very curious and I'd say, okay, I understand we're doing it this way, but why? Like, why did that person get sick and not this one? You know, why, why is this disease presenting this way? And the answer I would get over and over again was, this is just how we do it. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. And that to me was not acceptable. So I um, started my internal medicine residency because it seemed like that was sort of my broadest approach to, to disease and went through and created my own fellowship in prevention because I realized pretty quickly if I couldn't find sort of the answer to the why for myself or for my patients, I should at least try to optimize this beautiful vessel that we'd been given, right? So that we could prevent disease. So I went into things like um, studying vascular medicine to prevent cardiovascular disease. I studied a lot of obesity medicine, thinking that that was often what would, was leading to disease. And that was a really cool opportunity for me because I started one of the first ever sort of OSHA um, and JCO accredited uh, eval centers for bariatric surgeon. And so I started working with this gastric bypass surgeon and I was doing all of his um, pre-op sort of medical weight loss intervention, but I had to team up with a um, nutritionist and a psychologist because they required this whole team approach. And that was my first experience with really getting a team, a spectrum of kind of providers that we were all working together and looking at how the body was, you know, leading to disease and how people weren't eating clean and the, the mindset piece of it. And that went well for a little while. And I was, I was learning from a lot of my primary care patients, which I was developing a general primary care practice at the same time as well, um, focusing on cardiovascular prevention. And it was really interesting because the bariatric surgeon would do his bypass and then these patients would see me and follow up. And a lot of times they were just, they were losing weight, which was awesome but they were totally metabolically screwed up. <laughs> so like their thyroid was tanked and they were so tired and I would do all these different things and started studying nutraceuticals and, and nutrition in general in more depth. And I went into my fellowship in integrative medicine, trying to find answers. 
And around that time, the surgeon um, said to me, we've decided to move on um, with our evals in, in a different location. And I was like, what are you talking about? And, and he said, well, you went off this like complete integrative medicine rabbit hole. And like, I just needed you to stay here in obesity. And I said, well, you're messing these people up. And I had to figure out why, right? So that was just kind of an interesting side note. But it was one of the things that really pushed me further into integrative medicine saying, look, I know something's happening deeper than what we're finding on labs and scans. And around that same time, I was lucky enough to have um, my daughter and back when I was 20 and it relapsed in college, they had to take an ovary out um, because my my cancer had relapsed on and on my ovary, which is kind of an unusual presentation. And then they had to put me back through chemotherapy again. And I went into heart failure from one of the drugs. So that was my first um, kind of introduction to integrative care even before I knew it, which was my uncle sent me carnitine and CoQ10. I didn't know what they were. And my parents just had a sick kid, so they were open to anything natural, but we didn't, we didn't know more than that. So back then I took the drug, I mean, I took the supplements and some medicine. So I'd always blended traditional and integrative and I got better and I was able to run a 15K and, and we thought, you know, my ejection fraction was, which is kind of how strong the heart pumps normal is 55 to 60. It had been down to 20. It went back to 50. So I was kind of considered low normal and nobody knew if I could get pregnant and I was able to get pregnant with the one ovary and all the chemo and my heart held out and um, it went down a little bit prior at delivery down to about 45 but we got through it and I'd say within a couple of months I developed a total um, train wreck of symptomatology <laughs> you know the stress of pregnancy that you hear about a lot and um, on top of my all of my already um, you know was hanging in their body but but clearly had a lot of disease underneath the tip of the iceberg um, so it turned on autoimmune ha uh, Hashimoto's and psoriasis and I I couldn't open my eyes. They thought they were going to have to do eye surgery for thyroid eye. Um, I had to have sinus surgery and I was able to heal my eyes and my Hashimoto's and, and continue down my integrative path without surgery and uh, always a blend again of traditional and integrative. And that trend of me getting really, really sick and me clawing my way out of it with a blend of traditional and integrative has occurred many times throughout my life and led to this incredible comprehensive approach that I have um, in my clinic today uh, with a naturopath who does kinesiology and an upper cervical energy healer who lines up the atlas and a bunch of other techniques that let, really led me eventually to see how central the mitochondria play in, as a role in overall optimal function. I love that you take so many different modalities and even energy medicine, bioenergetics, you take a, just a full spectrum approach to biohacking the body. And can you talk to us about, you know, kind of what your ideas are about why so many people are ill today and why they're not able to get or you know, not find that, that root cause of really what's making them ill? What a phenomenal question. Um, I, 
I would say, first of all, why they're not able to find it is because our medical system and how practitioners are trained is not in the finding of the disease. It's rather really more focused on treating symptoms, unfortunately. So I think even if they go in with the question of why they're not getting the answer, and it's not really the doctor's fault either. It's it's the system of training, um, in my opinion, that practitioners go through. Why so many more people feel sick today than maybe did you know, 20 years ago, I think is clearly multifactorial. So many different causes from the food being first and foremost with genetically modified and with all of the different ingredients and, and just our quick grabbing lifestyles and those types of things, not eating clean food all the way to environmental toxins, which I know is your you know, specialty. And so a lot of your listeners really are keen on that. Absolutely hard to avoid ranging from you know the metal in our mouth for if we're a little bit older, all the way to EMF and junk light and everything that we're learning more and more about today. But really, if I nail it down, um, as I've gone through this journey myself, so much of it is the spiritual path and people just being disconnected from that higher version of themselves. So what do I mean by that? It's it, we get into roles. Maybe we're mom or dad, we are a spouse, um, we are a doctor, we are a lawyer, you know, we have this, we have a career label. We are a child responsible for a parent, even when we're, you know, in our 20s, 30s, 40s. Um, and these roles, serve to distract and keep us in a place that is somewhat disconnected from from self. And when we are like that, from an energetic standpoint, we invite in um, physical symptomatology that can really make us have issues. And then those answers, again, are not clear because there may be a more energy, spiritual side to, to the presentation of symptoms. And I think there, the, all those things you mentioned, you know, the doctors are not looking at that. They're not looking at psycho-spirituality. They're not looking at bioenergetics. They're not looking at toxins. They're not looking at, say, mold. Uh, typically, uh, they're just not looking for a lot of these underlying root causes. And, I, and I, I feel terrible for people that are going to doctor for doctor after doctor and just getting more and more and more sick taking all these drugs. So what, what is your approach? Like when someone comes to your clinic in Florida, where is it again? In I'm in Florida? Tampa. In Tampa. Mm -hmm. And so what's the process, uh, the order in which you, you take your patients through? So another phenomenal spot on question because I'm working on systemizing that as we speak. But what we do is <clears throat> when a patient comes in, I, I believe strongly and just having them be heard. So we will start at the beginning and I will ask them from childhood. Like I don't want to, I don't want to read all the piles of different doctors that they've been to. I literally will just start, let's start from a clean playing field. And like, were you healthy as a kid? So we'll go through this and I've got um, a sheet that I've created, which I'm happy to share with your um, listeners where I have all the different systems that can come out of balance or become suboptimal, but then I've got the layers of the onion that have led to that happening in the first place. So once I have some targeted specific questions, I'm going to decide, okay, you know, you maybe scored highest on, on your gut being our primary barrier 
to you being optimal. So let's go down the path of the gut first. And we, for example, we heal leaky gut with my natural path and muscle testing and supplements and different nutritional interventions. Or I may say, listen, you are really stressed and I can't get through until we get your parasympathetic and sympathetic systems a little bit more balanced. Let's do HRV testing and let me connect you with my mindfulness coach that I'm working with who has some great interventions and, and try these supplements <clears throat> so we can kind of get that system to calm down and we'll peel the layers that way. Most of our patients, somebody may come in and say, you know, I was, I was great until I was in a car accident when I was 13, you know, and I, I remember not ever kind of being back to my vibrant self. Well, Hey, when you're, when your C1 is out of alignment, you're going to be disconnected. Your signals going down, your blood going up to your brain. And that doesn't magically repair itself, you know? So that particular patient, we may send in for structural alignment and, and energy work first, knowing that everyone really needs to optimize gut function and detoxify and, you know, work on infectious etiology and balance their hormones and their thyroid and their adrenals. Um, what kind of is really special about how, how we handle it is we help people prioritize because I've seen a lot of practitioners where they'll just dive into one modality that is maybe their specialty, and you're not going to get the same level of results if you've got some, a bigger problem kind of screaming and blocking that healing. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the biggest thing that people are confused about. Like they know they have heavy metals, they know they have mold or maybe Lyme or parasites, and their digestion is not the best, and they just kind of don't know where to begin, where to start. Right. And that's that it's because it's complex and truly most doctors don't know how to guide patients. So, you know, right now what we're doing is all face to face, but I'm, I'm working on a system where it can be, it's going to be computerized and it'll spit out sort of priorities and we can throw in some other assessment tools. We're working on looking at sort of pulse, um, differences in sort of Chinese pulse assessment, um, HRV, some other kind of learning where you are at awareness tools so that we have a baseline as we do these interventions, we can track improvement. And what, what role does the mitochondria play? So you're a mitochondrial specialist, so you, you help your patients optimize their mitochondrial function. Why, are you, why do you focus so much on that? So for your listeners who don't know what mitochondria are, they are the little engines inside of all of our cells that produce energy and they take oxygen from the air that we breathe and electrons from the food that we eat um, or from the earth and combine them together to go through a com complex set of steps to make ATP, which is our energy frequency. So what happens is we get so kind of bogged down in we've got to get this particular toxin out or it's got to be the adrenals or like once I get my hormones balanced, I'll be fine. And what I was noticing in my practice was, yeah, people were getting better with all of those interventions and I was getting better, but there was still like not that vibrance. Like it was, you could not get to the gym and get, you still couldn't get to the gym and feel good. Like you're at the gym and it would be like, okay, I pushed it, but I'm tired now. Or waking up and still tired, even with adrenal support. And so I, I kept searching and with my own personal journey of cardiac issues related to chemo, that is specifically mitochondrial damage, you know, that, that happens there. 
And the first thing that really tied in the mitochondrial connection for me was when I learned about the ketogenic diet way before it was popular, I was searching new ways to eat that weren't so boring for my patients. Like it wasn't, you know, grilled chicken and broccoli. And I had this program I was doing, looking at all the lifestyle and, and different supplements and things. And I stumbled upon an interview and it was Dr. Mercola and Don D'Agostino. And he is sort of one of the main researchers in keto. And, and they, I was listening and they were saying, hey, well, you know, with this ketogenic diet, you can trigger mitochondrial biogenesis. And I was like, wait, what did he just say? And what does that mean? Right? <laughs> because I personally had no idea that you could make new mitochondria. I did not know that. Like we had studied mitochondrial medicine or mitochondria in eighth and ninth grade. And then like literally not really again. I mean, it was touched on in medical school, but never focused on unless you had some rare my mitochondrial myopathy disease that was like inheritable. So when he said you could make new mitochondria, I like stopped what I was doing and I started listening a little bit more. And he was talking about this ketogenic diet and how it would trigger the formation of these new, um, new mitochondria inside the cells. And then he said, well, at my research lab at the University of South Florida, so then I like really dropped what I was doing because he's literally 10 minutes from me. So I did what I always do, which is pick up the phone, <laughs> email, pick up the phone and be like, oh my God, I just heard your interview. Is this real? And can I come check out your lab? So that was kind of what started a deeper dive into evaluating ways to hack mitochondria and my own personal experience with the ketogenic diet. And it has continued as I've taken a step back and looked at things like we talked about before, adrenals, thyroid, your hormones, detoxification, none of these things are possible without ATP production from your mitochondria. So we're kind of, we were kind of like skipping over the most important part, even in integrative medicine. Like, I don't know how, because I did this in extensive fellowship, like even in that fellowship, it was not brought up until I'd say maybe what the past six, seven years. I'm sure you experienced that too, right? Yeah. And so tell us like what, why are mitochondria malfunctioning? What are, what are the roadblocks that are preventing so many people from producing the energy that their bodies are capable of? Cause you know, I know for me, when I wasn't well, my number one complaint was fatigue. I'm just tired. Why am I tired? I eat this amazing diet and I sleep and I, you know, I'm doing everything right. And, and that's what the, the, all the clients that I've worked with, they're, most people, their number one complaint is fatigue. What's going on? So it is the fact that I would say, first of all, we don't have a way to easily assess the number and function of our mitochondria. So I think a lot of us, because I was the same where I healed so many things, but I was like, no, I want to be an athlete. Like, I don't want to stop here. Why am I still, why am I stuck now? patients who would go through our programs and be feeling, let's say 50, 60% better, but again, or maybe even 70, that's still that main complaint being fatigue, maybe brain fog, um, and definitely poor recovery after exercise. Those are probably the top three symptoms I see of mitochondrial, not uh, mitochondrial dysfunction or suboptimal mitochondrial function. Why? Because 
They're very, very highly concentrated in the brain, the heart, the muscle. So those, when you're not getting enough fuel in your brain, you get foggy. When you're not getting enough fuel in your muscles, you can't recover after working out. When you're not getting enough you know, fuel of everywhere, you're tired. So when we look at what damages mitochondria and or what prevents you know, their optimal biogenesis or new ones, again, number one is probably dietary. We, when you look at the fact that that is the part of the cell that actually takes in food and uses the electrons and turns it into fuel, it, it's also an engine that's very sensitive to inflammation and to free radicals. So if you've got an inflammatory grain or a food that's grown with glyphosate or genetically modified, it's going right into that engine. And it's it, not only is it not producing the ATP at that level that it should be, but it's also causing generalized inflammation, which is going to literally kill off some of the mitochondrial function. So probably number one, again, would be, would be the food source. Number two, and, and I'll tell you a really simple, very interesting way to think about these things. Uh, number two would be energetic frequency than light. And I'd say number three would be stress. So when we look at the plant, at plants, so when this was a really, really another big pivoting moment for me, about mm, maybe three or four years ago, my daughter, it was studying for an exam. She said, hey, mom, can you quiz me? So she's probably eighth grade. Um, and, and I said, please don't be history. Please don't be history. <laughs> and, because she would always have these like complex history things that I have no interest in. But she said, no, mom, it's biology and it's mitochondria. So I was like, oh, heck yeah, bring it on, girl. Like, let me see. Let's go. So she hands me this packet of like questions. And I open the first like five pages were about a leaf. So I was like, seriously, Jordan, you know, why is it, you said it was mitochondria. And she looked at me, she goes, mom, the chloroplast and the mitochondria are exactly the same. What's the big deal? And I was like, huh? <laughs> what are you talking about? So I look at the paper and the drawing of the chloroplast, which is how a plant makes energy from light, right? And the picture of the mitochondria and they looked exactly the same. So I just said, that is very interesting. And I filed it over here somewhere because I didn't know quite what to make of it at that point. And then fast forward about six months later, and I'm listening to a controversial neurosurgeon that I'm sure you know, Dr. Jack Cruz, um, who is a you know, brilliant guy and, and talking about mitochondrial function and, and how light can affect mitochondria. And he, he's not always PC and he's like screaming, people wake the bleep up, the mitochondria and the chloroplast are exactly the same <laughs> and light matters. And so then I was like, I knew that, you know, it kind of triggered all these bells. And when you look at a plant, what does it respond to, right? Like we know it responds poorly to stress. And we know like, if you talk to your plants, they seem to grow nicer or- Yeah, you know, I know my, it's funny. I have a funny story. My uncle was trying to beat the world's record for the tallest tomato plants. And he was, lived in Austin, Texas. So he actually studied under the guy that had the world's record, like 32 feet high or 31 feet high or something like that. But he, his secret was he talked to them. 
He See, talked to the plants every day. He played music <laughs> for them. And I think his only got up to like 18 feet and like the bugs ate them or something. So he, he never accomplished <laughs> that. But, but it, he was, it was all about the secret was talking to the plants. There you go. So, so if you talk to plants, they're happy. If you water them and, you know, keep them well hydrated and they need the sun, right? So I, um, I look at the mitochondria in the same way. And since we don't fully understand it, we don't fully have effective tools to evaluate their status yet. We want to treat them like we treat plants. And part of it is that the mitochondria were their own bacteria. So that's the other sort of interesting side note. You know, they were functioning on this planet before we hijacked them. So we basically hijacked them. We hacked them and brought them in to be our engines. Um, and so they have the ability to respond to their environment. So when you think about it that way, if you're running around stressed, and that would be probably my top answer for why everybody's exhausted, you know, it's old and boring answer to say your stress is why you're tired, right? We've heard that before. But if you put it into the mitochondrial construct, it makes sense, right? Because they are able to sense their environment. They're sensing that there's a battle going on and they are not going to like that. <laughs> you know, they're going to retreat. It's not going to trigger a good, healthy response when it's in extreme levels. Can you talk about the cell danger response, like how the mitochondrial maybe shut down uh, to not feed energy to pathogens that are in your body? Yeah, and it's, well, what's really interesting with stress and the mitochondria, um, you have the one extreme of sort of cell danger response and, and inflammation from infectious etiology or toxins where it just kind of shuts down. But then you have hormesis, which is a fancy word for the fact that stress can actually trigger mitochondrial biogenesis when it's done in the right way you know when it's like the goldilocks kind of concept of it's a little bit so you're like doing a workout at the gym and you're going to trigger growth of your muscle so you have things like cryotherapy and you know red light therapy and other things that are going to maybe stress the mitochondria that aren't so healthy and trigger new ones to be formed versus a response that's so extreme, you know, a, a cell danger response where you're getting a toxin or infectious etiology that's so extreme that it just completely shuts down. So that, that concept is really, really interesting and, you know, complex at the cellular level, but we're starting to understand it, it, it more and more and more tools to be able to measure it. And then what about uh, taking antibiotics? Because mitochondria are bacteria. And a lot of people go to doctors and they just want something, give me a fix and uh, are given antibiotics if they present with any type of, you know, upper respiratory infection or what have you. And what role is antibiotic abuse having on our, you know, number of mitochondria in our body? Um, I think that's a fantastic question. And I would, I would actually say it expands beyond antibiotics. So yes, it makes really good sense because it is a bacteria that they're going to have more direct damage, especially from certain types of antibiotics like the um, floxin group and um, some of the macrolide antibiotics. But it, there's a broader just drug phenomena where a lot of medicines in general are, are bring in mitochondrial toxicity. So I do think that when we look big picture, which is why the first question whenever I'm talking to anybody is, did you have a lot of antibiotics as a kid? 
you know, that piece of it. And, and truthfully, we don't even know now with the magic V word, since I don't want to talk about it, like what do those do at a cellular mitochondrial level for, for your, your body long-term in general, um, as far as why people are more tired now, because as we know, we're seeing kids, we're seeing kids and 20 year olds that are, that are so wiped out in, in much higher levels than we did back, you know, when we were growing up. I mean, people, I think are really being born behind the eight ball. Like they just don't have a good start in life with the, you know, the mom having a mouthful of mercury amalgam fillings and toxic environment and stress and the diet, maybe not so good while the mother was pregnant and mineral deficiency and just, uh, you know, a poor microbiome with the, the mother. And a lot of kids are just being born very, very ill today. And I, I think that brings up another super interesting point, which is what about like women who had to go to fertility, which, you know, they, they're hacking a system that isn't getting pregnant for a reason. I mean, it's different in different cases, but then you, those kids really need even a lot more additional support at the beginning, in my opinion, right? Because they're still, they're ba- That was like me. I was, I was able, this was just because my son wanted to be here, but I, I had my daughter when I was 33 and then my body crashed. I did all of my, you know, learning, hacking, all that stuff, had one miscarriage, basically said, it's okay if I don't have another one, I'm blessed enough. I have one ovary, I had all this chemo, I'm not going to do fertility. I ended up getting pregnant and having my son at 41 um, without anything, you know, but I knew. So when, when he um, was born and he was having, I noticed a little bit of like skin reactivity. I just said, okay, I'm going to wait on his shots for now because I know he was bathed in 41 years. (laughs) Exactly what you said. Somebody who like had had mercury and chemo and all of this stuff. So though I think just awareness um, to get these kids started out on the right foot with is it, you know, maybe we end up having some hacks, red light therapy wise, or really working on at least blocking EMFs or getting them on the right type of diet early on, or is it different supplements that are more mitochondrial based that could, that could help? I think it could make a huge difference in literally every kind of disease because mitochondrial dysfunction is behind almost everything. Yeah, absolutely. And so what are some of your tips to optimize mitochondrial function and particularly circadian rhythm uh, light exposure as well? So my, my favorite, which is so simple, is that when you get up in the morning, so we know the morning rays have some frequencies that are better for the mitochondria. And we know grounding, which allows electrons from the earth to kind of come into your energy field are two pretty awesome hacks. So if I can get people to just head outside and the more screwed up their circadian rhythm, um, the more important this is um, to when they get up to try to get them not to touch um, an electronic and go straight outside without contacts or glasses, um, without shoes and just put bare feet in the earth and connect to the earth and um, do a guided meditation or just do a breath work because the breath work will also hyper oxygenate, right? So I do like just something basic like box breathing where you just breathe into your belly for four and then hold for four and then out for four and then hold for four. And something that simple will get you more oxygen, more electrons, 
calm that sort of stress response, allow nature, you know, the sun to kind of come in with its frequencies. And people have told me their fatigue is dramatically better just from that exercise. And it's 10 minutes and it's free. Yeah. I mean, it, it couldn't be simpler. And I used to wear sunglasses every time I'd go out outdoors it just, and I refuse to wear sunglasses now. Like I'm just going to squint and get wrinkles. I don't care. You know, I'm <laughs> cause it used to be about, Oh, or protecting. I need I thought I need to protect my eyes as I'm going right. to get cataracts or, or something. It's you know, going to be, there's going to be a problem with my eyes, but you, you need that, that sunlight that that's exactly. cueing parts of your brain to make cortisol or to calm down and make melatonin. And, and what, what a travesty is light at night causing our mitochondria? So yeah, the night light, whether it is usually from devices being blue light and, 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 or just junk light, fluorescent light, all of it just confuses the mitochondria. They're on a circadian rhythm where they prefer different you know, types of light early in the morning and then settling in in the evening. And that piece of it is, it's relatively easy to hack. So now, and with people home on devices, it's so much more now, like through this pandemic and everything, I'm making sure if people can pay attention to wearing some of these blue light blocking glasses and knowing to really be aware of their evening exposures. It really can help their circadian rhythm. It can help mitochondrial function just to have that level of awareness. Look at different settings on the phone, take the blue light just in general out on the phone, I think is helpful. And working on getting more and more of the red light, the healthier frequencies of light exposed to the body. Yeah, and what are your thoughts on say when someone's there, they've created their cocoon in their bedroom and they're wearing, you know, they're wearing a face mask and you know doing everything right, but they still have light coming in through their window from a, a street lamp or their neighbor's light or what have you. Are the mitochondria sensing that as well, sensing that light? I would say they may be a little bit, but when you, I'm very much about big picture and stress. So we can't live in a bubble. We can't live in like a tin foiled house and on the mountain, you know, that's not where we are. And, and so you can do and empower what you can control. But what I, what I like to, another thing I really like to work with my patients about is if the mitochondria are listening, if we can kind of connect to them. So I'm all about this one in regards to, let's say medication. If you have to take medicine for something, instead of just being, darn it, I, I get so annoyed, I have to take this drug and you know swallowing it down, <clears throat> can we connect to it? Because everything's energy and the mitochondria are very sensitive to energy frequencies. Can we say what I do, because I have to take three meds, thyroid and two heart meds. Hey, thank you to whoever made you. Can you please go in now, do what you need to do and then move on out. And then I'll put it in my mouth and I'll drink. Okay. So same kind of thing with regards to something like a light on the street that you cannot control 
or a stressful job as we shift our um, mentality to gratitude while we're looking for something else, gratitude that we have this job, right? Can we connect and, and talk and say, hey, thank you, instead of, Ugh. And I, I love that because I am, I'm definitely a big theme right now is intention and the intentions of your, your thoughts and your words and their much, much more powerful than people give them credit for. And, and for me, I'm doing like, you know, meditations and, and things in the morning and every evening and really trying to focus in on what it is that, you know, that I want for my health and my life and yada, yada, yada. So, so you also are very big on, you know, bioenergetics and, and frequencies and do using different modalities in your practice with your patients. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and why you use that and integrate that in your practice? So another really cool story, um, about 10 or 11 years ago, there was a chemical engineer who was studying Kabbalah and just for a fun on the side. And he downloaded this device that he was supposed to build. So he built this device that had energy frequencies, light and music and paired up with an investor who had a daughter with type one diabetes and they, they built this thing and they started treating people. And mostly they focused on type one diabetic population and they were getting better. It seemed like their immune systems were balancing out and they were actually measuring parasympathetic and sympathetic systems with this, with this device that was out back then. And they were blown away. So these were not medical people. They called the university in town and said, we have to get a clinical trial. We're seeing incredible results. And the university said, this sounds really interesting, but it's too out there for us. So here is Lisa's phone number. <laughs> and of course, of course. <laughs> so they, they called me and I said, why not? Do no harm. I'm interested in all of this. Um, this is actually sort of even predating my, my keto and, and really focusing on mitochondria. And so I went to this, I went to go try it. This is actually really funny. So they had it all set up in these warehouse, in a big warehouse. They had like two of these devices. And on the way, right when I pulled up, I was so thankful I had brought my dad because we walk in, it's like, I'm going to be in this box with these two men that I don't know, like for an hour laying there. Um, and that's pretty much what happened. So my dad hung out, they did my, measured my parasympathetic sympathetic balance, got me in this treatment for an hour where you're kind of <clears throat> in and out of sleep. Um, and that meditative state was one of the first times I had really felt it. And when he opened the door after the hour, he started like gagging and he was like, oh, oh can you smell that? And it turned out it was chemo. This was wild experience. So it, and I could, like after we pointed it out, I could, it smelled like a waste dump, really like, wow. me like medical waste dump. And I had done all this years of detoxification of healing my gut, taking all the supplements, eating healthy. Right. So I sat there and I was like, holy crap, you know, we're sitting here working on this physical vessel but we're not able to access the energy part of our body, which is connected for all of us. So we're only halfway, if that, there, right? We're missing half of the story. 
So I was playing already with kinesiology and my naturopath. And then I realized as out there as he had seemed, he was actually really just physical too, just like me, right? He was just using the energy field to test, not to treat. So then it became, whoa, how are we going to get this out of here? So I, I ended up with the device in, in my office, which I still have. And we were fixing things like insomnia and PTSD and even um, shingles would go like crazy symptomatology would improve with this combination of vibration, music, and light. The device was way ahead of its time. So the FDA went after them and they ended up going bankrupt, like all these really cool, awesome new modalities. So now it's kind of coming into its time again, but it set up this, that set the stage for me to question and research energy healing. And then when the mitochondrial stuff came in, that's when I knew that that one of the biggest connections between sort of mindset, spirituality, energetic by, you know, energy in general is probably connecting through the mitochondria in addition to things like our fascia and, and, and DNA in general. Yeah. Cause our, our fascia are, it's kind of crystallized and we have messages that travel throughout our body uh, in our fascia. It's not just connective tissue for your, between your skin and your muscles, it has a very important role. And yeah, so that can help to transmit, you know, communications, frequencies throughout your body. And it's one of the main ways your body actually communicates. You know, it's not just your, your hormones, your neurotransmitters and your physical, you know, means of communication in your body. You communicate very much uh, on an energetic level where your body is doing trillions of things every, every second. And everything that happens physically in our body cannot account for everything that all the different transactions and all the different things that are going on. Right. And, and that was another, that was a more recent thing for me was um, studying fascia a little bit more. And I had another crazy kind of experience. And again, I really thank my body. So I would tell your listeners I try to connect in and, and have gratitude and, and my body has always been my biggest teacher. I've had to hack it time and time and time again, and it keeps leveling up for me. And one of the more recent hacks was working with a spiritually attuned myofascial release um, practitioner. And after she did a couple, I think her second session with me, I, w- I went out and was kind of just meditating or, or looking at the water and I had this whole thing happen where a mom and, and little baby ducks came right next to me. And then, and I was having some back pain, which I'd never had. So my body presented with the back pain to show me the modality of myofascial release to let me understand how fascia works through this message of the universe with ducks. So the, the mama duck flies away and the little baby ducks we're right at a wall and this is the place where it's the it's the bay where mo- usually there's not ducks it wasn't a pond so they were in an odd location anyway and the baby ducks like freaked out and tried to climb the wall and i was sitting there talking to them like mommy's coming back you're gonna be fine and she flew back over and they calmed down and then i, I was like oh maybe this is a message that i'm a good mom or i don't know i'm just gonna sit with this and then she flew away again and the baby ducks just kind of sat there. So I was like, isn't nature awesome? Like they, they already learned she's gonna come back and they're baby, like little tiny baby chicks. So she comes back again 
And then I sat there and I thought about it some more. And I said, wait a minute, there's three little ducklings. I only have two kids. And then the whole message came to me, which was, that was my mom and how she wasn't able to be in the room with me for some of the more traumatic procedures I had done. And that I had stored that fear in my fascia. So I, I literally called my mother and said, were you allowed when they were doing bone marrow biopsies and all that? She said, no, they wouldn't. It was sterile and they would not let me in the room. So that was a pretty like, whoa, um, people can store trauma and it's going to block healing because your electrons and your light and your water is supposed to kind of fly through the fascia and trauma can get stuck there. Yeah. And, and trauma is a huge underlying root cause of, of health issues uh, and, you know, and blocking our, our meridians and blocking our chakras and blocking other energetic pathways with the fascia. And uh, yeah, can you talk a little bit more about that and, and how you kind of help your patients address underlying root trauma to address their physical health issues? Yes. So I think the first step, which your listeners can just kind of think about on their own, is just understanding that there is a connection right? So when I go through patients' histories, I always will kind of tap into major stressors and traumas from, from the beginning because there's a clear tie to physical results from these traumas. And when, when we identify it, and a lot of times they'll say, no, I did plenty of therapy on that, you know, sexual abuse, or I did plenty of therapy on when I got, my dad never talked to us again, or, you know, whatever the trauma, which we've all had trauma, it is the energetic storage of the trauma in this fight or flight kind of manner that's often missed. Um, it is the energetic storage of the trauma that kind of can happen in subconscious repetitive thought patterns, which most likely are having a direct impact on mitochondrial function, right? That's something I wanna be able to prove someday, but, but it makes sense. So it will be like, okay, we need to find a way to get this physically out of the body instead of just the maybe talk therapy or other work that that people tend to have done and so i will use things like the myofascial release um often for things like sexual abuse it can be stored in the fascia vaginally for women and they will go they can go inside and break up some of the the scar tissue in using a manual technique I will, I have different energy healers that uh, one of my closest friends is a blind uh, Jinshin Jitsu healer, where, which is like acupressure without the needles. And so she has taught me a lot through, we've shared a lot of the same patients and she'll be able to see where there are blocks and their energy meridians related to these traumas. And then we compare it with the physical support that, that I'm doing with them and they get better faster. And then the last thing I'll say is the upper cervical work um, with the Atlas Orthogonal C1. Anytime I see people really stepping in to release trauma, like um, this was super interesting. Okay, I'm ready. I'm going to be meditating every day. I'm going to work with a shaman. I'm going to do some healing work. And then they'd come in with neck pain. It was like over and over and over again. And so I started digging a little bit deeper and it turns out that like when you're 
when you're ready to clear this energy field and I view trauma, toxins, whatever is there, a frequency like a toxin, like my chemo was. And when you're ready to dump it, it doesn't just go out into the air. Typically it has to be processed by the physical vessel and the entrance point is C1. So if your neck is sort of out of alignment or if you are trying to clear a bunch of frequencies, this can get kind of can start achy, tight up in here, and it can slow your healing process and slow the release of, of these traumas. So if we can tap it in in a safe way, there's no manual manipulation, it's done with a sound wave. That healer has been so, so important in my practice because she will help people get to that next level of releasing some of the energetic uh, stuck frequencies from the traumas. So, so interesting. Um, that using frequencies like that can have such a profound effect on on neck pain and, and oh. aiding trauma release and whatnot. And so, um, is there, are there any nutritional things that you do with with patients in regards to feeding the mitochondria? So, and what is your approach bioenergetically with the mitochondria as well? So, I would say, I mean, bioenergetically, I'm looking a lot at things like red light therapy, grounding the blue light blocking, like how it, it, the bioenergetic, I'm looking at it two ways. What is damaging the mitochondria and how can we help protect against it? So things like EMF and junk light and um, computer light. And we've talked a little bit about that and things like the pendants that, that you talk about and modulating the computer lights color spectrum. And then it's also how can we charge energetically in a positive way so how do we prevent damage, but also how do we charge? And bioenergetic charging would be a lot of, um, honestly, mindset, gratitude, intention, healthy, clean, charged water, crystals, which are my favorite. I think we're going to be able to prove that. It was, I got them everywhere. Um, that you have them in your field and it kind of can help things line up appropriately. So that's an emerging field that is super exciting to me and I'm constantly studying. From the food perspective, the data is very clear. So it would be a modified ketogenic diet because hardcore keto is not for everybody and there's a lot of ways to do it incorrectly, as you know. But when it is done correctly, especially in combination or looking at intermittent fasting or fasting in general, that is where the mitochondria is the happiest. Because when we use fat as our primary fuel, we make more ATP and we have less of the kind of fumes and damage from working through the engine of the Krebs cycle than when we eat inflammatory carbohydrates. Very good to know. I am doing that right now. I am dramatically reducing my carbohydrates. Awesome. <laughs> <Is> that... <laughs> yeah, it's it's not easy to do. It's not. It's not. It's fun. not. And you know, I um, I did. I again was one of the first people before it was on any shelf. I was doing keto with my patients because I was blown away that there was a diet that the food could still taste pretty good, and that it actually had an outcome of new mitochondria. So I. Um, I played with it very early on. So I just launched my first course online that's called Keto-ish because I have so much experience of seeing how it's not going to be black and white for everybody. So there, yes, it's, it's a little tough, but not like it used to be. So many things in the store now, you know, clean options that get you from not, not being as frustrated as maybe when you try, would have tried to do keto five years ago. So tell us about uh, about the course. 
Okay, so my course is, we're at week six now. This is my pilot, and it is modules. There's eight modules, about eight to 12 minutes of me going through, like holding hands of people as they go through this journey of um, keto adapting. And then I did a, I'm doing a live one on, I mean, a live group one hour call on Zoom. And so people have access to all of that. And then we have some good hacks like um, exogenous ketones or a couple of these chews that taste pretty good that'll that can cut carb cravings playing with c8 which is a form of mct oil that is a lot more powerful than just mct that you buy at the grocery store and that it will cut cravings can go in your coffee can go in a smoothie so i um i sort of just hold everybody's hand through the journey and when we hit stumbling blocks i share my wealth of experience from all the years of doing this just not just on myself but with a lot of different patients fantastic and so where can people go to to learn more about your course and sign up so if they want to go to my website, spectralwellness.com, um, my social at Dr. Lisa Coach on Facebook and Instagram, we'll be launching it again in January, but there's tons of information in, in all of those places on mitochondrial function, on keto, on just about anything that, that they would want to know. Yeah. And tell us about your book also. You have a book called Lit. I do. My book is called Get Lit and it is a quick and easy read. So the biggest amazing feedback I get is that anyone, wherever they are on the journey can pick it up, get through it in about 45 minutes to an hour. It's in a Q&A format and can get nuggets of just pearls of information. So it's, it's structured into the mind, the fuel and the body. And it's, again, an easy read with a turnkey program at the end that guides you through a modified keto, a really incredible mindset piece. And that's called the lit scale. So raising awareness of where you are in your own kind of spiritual journey. And I have affirmations at the different levels that people can start practicing to wake up their cells and kind of move forward towards getting what I call getting lit. I love that. I love that because I, I feel like I'm trying, I'm doing some version of that right now, just trying to uh, like up my game. What can I do? I'm doing so many different things and biohacking and bioenergetics, but I'm really trying to work on mindset right now because like you said, in the, the words and your thoughts are so incredibly powerful and you, you have to take control of that and focus. Uh, and, and I love affirmations. I'm getting much more into affirmations and listening to, you know, medit- music infused with frequencies and doing medit- affirmations to these, this type of music. And uh, so, so amazing. So thank you so much, Lisa, for coming on the show. And, you know, I, you are such a knowledgeable practitioner and I've been wanting to have you on the show for a really long time. And you're also one of our doctors that participated in the, the Harmony Pendant Study, uh, testing uh, HRV uh, before and after EMF exposure, wearing the pendant. So thank you so much for you know, doing that as well and contributing to that. Um, so again, tell us where we can find you. Absolutely. And I wanted to thank you. And I think we could have talked for like five more hours. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, <laughs> we will have to do it again. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm Dr. Lisa Coach on Instagram and Facebook, and spectrawellness.com is my website. 
Yeah, fantastic. Well, Lisa, again, thanks for coming on the show. And everyone, thank you so much for tuning in every week to the Myers Detox podcast. You know, and you can't detox unless you have adequate levels of energy. So it's really important to know how to, you know, care for your mitochondria, the do's and don'ts of, of caring from your mitochondria so that you can facilitate detox. Detox is an energy intensive process. And that's why a lot of people have trouble with it. Uh, they, a lot of you guys know you need to detox. You know you have mercury and lead and whatnot, but many of you don't have the energy to in fact process this stuff and release it. And so uh, so I hope you, you guys got lots of tips this week on that. So thanks for tuning in, everyone. Uh, my name is Wendy Myers of MyersDetox.com. Talk to you guys next week. The Myers Detox Podcast is created and hosted by Wendy Myers. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Wendy Myers and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.